With me to, well, actually, you know what? We're going to wait on that for a second because there's going to be a few Bible verses before we get to that. Have you noticed that there's quite a few lawsuits that happen in our society? Wouldn't you say that there's like been quite a few of those? And, and we, we like to say, man, there's just a sue-happy culture out there. Everybody just likes to sue everybody. Um, it seems to me like uh, every time you sign up for something online, that you need to sign a new contract. Anytime my computer updates, I need to agree to something. Um, and, and it just seems like this is all over the place. I wonder if this is a result of our word no longer being our bond. It used to be that you could say, I will be there at 6 o'clock, or I promise, or you don't have to say I promise, you just say, I'll help you with that, and you would do that. Or you used to say, well, no, I mean, if, if this happens, I recognize it being my fault. I've got a, um, a family member who's being sued because she was driving in the fast lane and a guy who was using drugs on a motorcycle rammed into the back of her and died. And his insurance company is suing her for medical bills. Completely not even her fault anymore. We just have this sue-happy culture. And I wonder if it's a result of a lack of honesty. Back in the day, we used to just say, I'll do this, and we would be done. Back in the day, we used to talk about uh, things that we would do, and we would do it. But now, I think we have this culture that sort of engineered itself so we don't need to be exactly honest anymore because there's things to prove whether or not we're honest or not honest. There's DNA tests. There's paternity tests. There's uh, video surveillance cameras. There's lie detection tests. It's irrelevant whether or not we're honest. It doesn't really matter because in the courts, they'll just figure it out anyways, right? When we feel like we can't verify the truth, then we sometimes have a series of accountability systems and tests and things like that. It used to be that it was our burden to tell the truth, and now it's society's burden to figure out whether or not we've told the truth or not. And even in our recent history, we've seen people not tell the truth in a court of law and get found out. 1999 was probably the most famous one. You remember this, right, Bill Clinton? Um, He perjured himself in front of Congress. Um, He actually was uh, not found guilty by the Senate, and he accepted immunity. 1973, our CIA director, a director of intelligence, uh, lied to Congress about helping to overthrow... Um, a, a guy down in Chile, a democratically elected president, and installed a dictator, Augusto Pinochet, was found out and sentenced to jail time. Um, do you remember Detective Mark Furman? On the, in front of everybody, brought these recordings about him using racial slurs, and he said, oh, no, I, I mean, totally detracted from the case, by the way. Um, but, but Mark Furman said, I've never used racial slurs. I'm not a racist. And then they brought testimony of people saying, nope, we hear them all the time using racial slurs. My thing, my personal favorite, though, is Barry Bonds. Here's a guy who's broken the home run record, massively ripped. I mean, you see Barry Bonds. I, I remember I used to have baseball cards from his earliest career. And the guy was a twig, you know. Um, he was so skinny. And then now Barry Bonds is just the most massive baseball player ripped guy you've ever seen. And he's sitting in front of Congress saying, nope, I, I didn't use performance enhancing drugs. And you almost want to laugh because you can't get that big without performance enhancing drugs. 
And so um, he was found out as well. And that uh, went to a, a large number of other athletes, Roger Clemens, Lance Armstrong. Why do we do this? Why do we lie? Why do we falsify things or not tell the truth? I think is because as a people, we naturally act in our own best interest. We want what's best for us. And I think that's a natural <clears throat> knee-jerk reaction to want what's best for us. And we put up these lies so that people won't find us out. Maybe God won't find us out. But we don't want to be found out. And when we tell the truth, it can hurt us sometimes. But the lie that society tells us is, say whatever they want to hear because there's no consequences. And that's not the case either. So let's talk for a moment about truth. I'm going to just flip through three Bible verses real quick to give us a context of where we're going today. So Psalm 25.5, it'll be up on the screen. The psalmist says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Again, these are just going to be three verses that are just a makeup of the entire Old Testament. Psalm 119.43, Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put... My hope in your laws. Isaiah forty five nineteen. <clears throat> I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Over and over and over again, you see the word of the Lord is truth. That was the frame of reference for the entire society of the Old Testament. And we can go all the way back to Genesis, all the way up through the end of the Old Testament and see that, that Yahweh, somewhere connected to God, is truth, the source of all of it, truth, that we serve a God that is truth. And it's all through the Old Testament. It's actually a big theme that you can find in the entire Bible, that God is truth. John fourteen six says this, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. <clears throat> no one comes to the Father except through me. About a year and a half ago, we went through this Bible verse. It is a tough teaching. Our society today doesn't like to hear, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Our society likes to say, no, there's a ton of different ways. There's a ton of paths to go down. But Jesus said, listen, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The, I am the way the truth, and the life. Three times when Jesus sent, told his disciples, I'm going to die and I'm going to leave you, he said, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. So therefore, we have this God who died and said, I'm going to give you my presence. My presence can be with you all the time, and that is the presence of my truth. And so God, Jesus, when he dies, gives us his truth. In other words, when you accept Jesus, at one point you say, yes, you know what? I do believe in Jesus. Yes, I do believe that Jesus is real. And, and yes, I do believe that he saved me from, from my life, from my poor choices, from my bad decisions. I believe that he can redeem me. And then you say, Jesus, I want you to come live and dwell in me. The Spirit, God's truthfulness, can actually come and live and dwell within you. Amen. And that 
Thank you, Malcolm. That deserved an amen, by the way, because that's biblical truth. That's not my truth. Failure to live in the truth, failure to live in the truth, raises questions of does truth actually live in you? Let me break that down for a little bit. So if you say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, this is my life. I've fully submitted to this. And yet, you're a habitual liar. All you do is lie. You can't help it, but lies come out of your mouth. Raises the question, does truth actually dwell in you? Have you submitted that to God? Does that make sense? Okay. One person that makes sense for us. So let me go over this again. <laughs> Mutually exclusive. In other words, the two cannot exist together. They just can't. Failure to live in the truth raises questions as, as if the truth actually dwells in you. So if you're a compulsive liar, it's really tough to call yourself a follower of Jesus. Or it's really tough to say, Jesus actually dwells in my heart. Now, can you mistakenly give false information and be forgiven? Absolutely sure. Can you, uh, can you lie and then realize your error and go to the person and ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. Has that happened to me and other Christians? Absolutely that has happened. But there's a difference between intentional deception with the idea that you'll ask for forgiveness later than deception realizing your error and saying, I'm sorry. One is called cheap grace. Diedrich Bonhoeffer talks about this. He talks about cheap grace. It's like when you know that you're about to do something wrong and you say, well, we serve an all-loving, all-forgiving God, and so I'll do this wrong thing, do what I need to do, and then ask for forgiveness later. That's called cheap grace. Partly because you know what you're about to do, but secondly, I think even in our Christian culture, we live in this myth that grace is only for the most messed up people, the most sinful people, when the reality is we live in God's grace every moment of every day of our lives because we are all forgiven. So there is cheap grace in this area. A lot of times I, I find when we talk about keeping your oaths or, or we talk about lying or anything like that, there's, especially when I used to do youth ministry, it was like, well, I could just tell this part of it. I could twist this part of the story, maybe a kid would say. Or I could, I could maybe just not give the full truth and, uh, and it'll be okay. <clears throat> when in reality, they know exactly what it is they're doing. They know exactly what it is that they're deceiving. All right, so moving on. Living in truth becomes a practice of knowing God. So as we grow deeper in faith, as we grow deeper in relationship with Jesus, the idea is that we become more and more fruitful. I mean, you think about it. I have this, uh, this tree in front of my house. It's a lemon tree. The lemon tree was there longer than the orange tree. And the lemon tree produces way more fruit. I'm not sure if it's because it's older. We water them the same. But since it's bigger and it's a little bit older, that thing produces tons more fruit than the orange tree. And it's just older. And I think as we grow in our faith and as we grow in our knowledge and our relationship of Jesus... I think that we become more fruitful. <clears throat> a guy much smarter than me once said, and this is really important, this is kind of hard to understand, so I'll break it down. What gets said is an exercise of social conformity. The tongue follows correctness, but the heart follows the truth. In other words, 
what we say typically conforms to the culture around us, even though our heart knows it's wrong. And I find that the older, more mature Christians don't follow that pattern. People who have dug deeper in their faith don't follow that pattern of the tongue-falling social correctness. And we tend to do that, right? So let's get into this part in the Sermon on the Mount today. We are um, in week, I think it's like 19 or 15 on Sermon on the Mount. I've stopped counting at this point. But uh, we're going to get into this. Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 33 through uh, 37. And before we get into it, um, one of the things I want to say is two weeks ago we talked about adultery. Last week we talked about divorce. And this week we're talking about oaths. So taken in their context, those three taken in their context, we could easily just simply apply this to marriage. But while it does uh, simply apply to that, it applies to so much more as well. So Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to look at verse 33 here. Jesus said this. He said, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the the Lord the vows you have made. So this could be talking about a number of different things. It could be talking about the Ten Commandments, um, where Jesus, where Jesus, Jesus actually wasn't there. Um, I just say that because I'm talking about Jesus. But in in Moses and Mount Sinai, when he's given the Ten Commandments, um, um, do not take the Lord, uh, his name in vain. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. He could be talking about that, but there's also a number of different places in the Old Testament that just simply say, keep your oaths, keep your promises, keep what you say, let your yeses be yes and no be no. This is not a, a new concept that Jesus is talking about. This is something that's been around all through the Old Testament. And there's so many verses that I just decided to say, you know what, we're just gonna, I'm just going to tell you they're all there and take my word for it. So all over the Ten Commandments, there's these verses like, don't break your vow. And then Jesus gets in in verse 34 and says, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair black or white. Again, like other parts of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been in, Jesus gives a little more information in the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. This is almost like a snapshot of his entire teaching on it. And his entire teaching, (coughs) excuse me, his cough, he expounds a little bit more on it a little bit later. And so we're going to go there right now, and then we're going to connect them and see how they're all connected here. Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 through 22. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gold on the temple is bound to that oath, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound to that oath. (coughs) You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one sitting on it. So I know that these are a little bit 
tougher to understand, and we're just going to break it down because we didn't live in that society. And so we're going to break down what is the temple and, and the gold and the gifts and God's throne. What does that all mean to Jesus' hearers, the people who were listening to Jesus speak? And it's actually quite relevant to what we're talking about today. So if you swear by gold, if you say, I swear to you that I will repay this debt by the gold that I have in my savings, if you didn't keep the debt, then if you didn't repay it, what would you have to do? Give the gold back, right? Or if you say, I promise I will do this, I swear on my mother's grave, and you don't do it, then what happens? Do you give your mother's grave? I mean, you, you can't do anything with that, right? And, and you are not going to, you know, submit yourself to die. I mean, it's, it's an empty promise, right? And so Jesus is trying to make this, this point here. He says to these Pharisees, you're saying, you're, you're not swearing by the gold. In other words, like something real hard, uh, hard currency. You're swearing by this temple, which you can't do anything about. But it sounds cooler right? It sounds more awesome, like a bigger promise to swear by God's throne that you're actually going to do something. But if you don't do it, you can't, there's nothing, there's no repercussions. And so here's what Jesus was saying here. What he's saying is that you're paying, you're swearing by something that you'll never, um, you'll never fulfill. There's no accountability, And what he's saying is, you're actually short-circuiting their understanding of reality. Because when you say, I swear to God, you're saying, I swear by something much bigger than me. And if I don't do it, then may God strike me down, or something to that effect. And people might, in this time, be impressed by that. And they might say, wow, well, he swore to God. And uh, so, (laughs) you know, we better... Uh, we, we better listen to him. And other, in, when in reality, this person cannot be trusted at all. And so what that does is it short-circuits someone's understanding of reality. Swearing something is a way to manipulate somebody. And when Jesus is saying, don't swear or don't make an oath, what he's saying is what you're actually doing in that is you're manipulating people is that you're, you're, you're short-circuiting their brain. Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy says, the wrongness of swearing lies deeper. We are making use of people, trying to bypass their understanding and judgment to trigger their will and possess them for our purposes. Whatever consent, consent they give us will be uninformed because we have short-circuited their understanding of what's going on. So what he's saying here is, what Jesus is talking about is trying to own and possess people, get them to do things that we want them to do, to take over their will by swearing to them. And you may think, well, my, you know, when I promise something, it's relatively harmless. But don't we promise sometimes to manipulate to get what we want? Have you ever been promised something? Like, um, I've seen this one a lot. Uh, I'll never cheat on you again. Oh, okay. I promise, I swear up and down by anything but this holy, I'll never cheat on you again. And inevitably they get back together and what happens? They get cheated on again. I promise, I swear we're going to pay you back. And in reality, they're people that can't be trusted with anything. They don't even know how to tie their shoes right. And they're like, oh, I promise I'm going to pay you back. 
And then you go, okay, well, you really need it this time. Jesus is, Jesus is saying you've got to love everybody. It doesn't mean you have to trust them all if they've proven to be untrustworthy. So in this transforming initiative, Jesus really breaks these Sermon on the Mounts into three sections. The traditional righteousness, and that's what we talked about with the Old Testament stuff. And then he talks about these vicious cycles of when you swear these oaths, and what does it look like in life when we swear these oaths? Say, I swear by the sanctuary, or I swear to God. First of all, we take God's name in vain. We reduce it to something small and tangible. And God cannot be reduced to something that can fit in our pocket. But then Jesus always gives us this transforming way to live, this transforming initiative, this way. is so small, it's so simple, but life in his kingdom, life in dwelling with the truth, gets us this. He simply says, all you need to say is yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. So Jesus simply said, Matthew 5, 37, all you need to say is yes or no. That's it. I mean, I could just end the sermon. I could just drop the microphone walk off the stage. Just say yes, just say no. As simple as that. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I mean, you think about that phrase, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Have you seen this played out in life? Yeah, and you know what? I promise to do that, and I'll get this done, and I'll get this done too, and, and, and I'll get that to you by this next week. And, or, uh, you know, people promise the heavens, and they can never deliver. Sometimes we just want to be people pleasers. There's a certain amount of us in here that are people pleasers. And, and if anybody were to ask you something, if I were to come up saying, would you run this ministry? And you're like, no, but because you want me to, yeah, of course. You know, you're screaming No. And as people pleasers, you just want to do everything. Sometimes the easiest way to keep your oath is not to be a people pleaser, to be a God pleaser, and to simply say, no, I'm sorry. Or, you know what, I need to take time to think and pray on that. Maybe yes, maybe no, I, I don't know yet. And then give a clear answer, whether yes or no. Jesus was saying that verbal manipulation to get what you want comes from the evil one. And why is this so important to God? Why did Jesus carve this little section out in the Sermon on the Mount to talk about this? Because we're a society, we're a people that base our, our entire lives on trust. The oath that you took with your spouse, you trust that they will be faithful to you in sickness and in health. The, the oath that you take um, maybe as, a, uh, as a, a civilian, in, simply in the United States, basically you, you, uh, you, you promise that you're going to be a jury, uh, what is that, you're going to do jury duty, and that you're going to, to be impartial in cases. We're, we're built on trust here. And I think Jesus even knew that between God and man, we're built on trust. And that if we're going to follow this God, and if we're going to live by his standards, then we've got to be built on trust. In God's kingdom, in God's new way of doing things, it has to be built on trust. And our world and our culture is so built on lies. How radical would it be if the Christian church was simply known for being truth tellers? You're going to get a straight answer when you go here. 
You're going to get straight talk when you go to this church because they simply speak the truth. Our culture today, lies are so abundant that the question is, what is the truth? Because no one seems to be telling it. But what if we were the ones, because we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, if you've said yes to Jesus, and you said, yes, Jesus, I want your presence with me. We have the Spirit of truth dwelling within us. What if we were the ones that brought truth into reality that is our culture? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I did college ministry for a few years, and let me tell you something. When you ask college students to do something, and I was like this, unfortunately, in college, their yes might mean absolutely nothing. When I was in college, sometimes I was guilty of this too. My, when somebody said, would you do this? I was like, yes, I'll be there. That could have meant no, or if I have time, or I'll be really busy that day. It could have meant anything, but I was a pleaser, a people pleaser, and, uh, and I wanted to seem like I was going to do that. But what if all that changed? Maybe that's some of us today. When, when you say yes, it just means nothing. What do people think of you because of your relationship with them? At work, does your boss know you as the person that if he asked you to do something, you'd do it? Or if you said you were going to do it, you'd do it? Or if you're a boss, <clears throat> if you're in charge of, of managing people, do, do your employees know you as the one who's going to say, when you say, you know what, I'm going to go to bat for you and try and get you this raise? That's not just empty talk. That is actually real life stuff. Are we known by what we say? Absolutely. We're judged by what we say. The culture looks at us and says, okay, if you're a Christian, I'm going to judge you twice as hard. So are we honest and truthful? And we have this problem in our society today that, that people say, well, I don't trust organized religion. Well, you know, for a while I was with that culture. I agreed with that culture. Because honestly, from TV and from the media and from all that, it just seemed like the church wasn't telling the truth a lot. Or it seemed like there were some pastors who did some messed up stuff. And, and so I was kind of with them. Do we lead into that perspective that the church cannot be trusted because we're also reflecting God in that? Or do we lean into the perspective that we can be trusted as a church and Jesus can be trusted? Telling the truth is actually a form of evangelism because people will come to you and say, you're straight with me. Why is it that I can't do anything right? And you have an avenue to share the gospel why is it that your life is different? Why is it that you seem to make good choices and I don't? You have an avenue to share the gospel. So telling the truth builds trust with society. Simply is talking straight like Jesus told us to, yes or no, anything else comes from the evil one, gives us audience. It, it, it actually... Um, there's this, uh, this Christian author named Erwin McManus, and he talks about how we need to earn the right to be heard in society. And I think one of the ways we earn that is by telling the truth, is by being people who are honest, being people who say and do what we say we're going to do. <coughs> Excuse me. 
I just wanted to begin closing today with this song, or this proverb. Proverbs twelve nineteen says this. It says, Truth lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment. Let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. And when you are talking to your spouse, feel free to correct each other. When somebody promises the heavens, say, just tell me yes or no. Just tell me yes or no. I think at, in Christian circles, we could demand that of each other. Just to say, just tell me yes or no. Is this going to work? The simple way of doing things. <clears throat> Maybe you're the kind of person who um, has to do a ton of convincing to others that you really do what you say you're going to do. I want to challenge you that the next time an opportunity comes up to simply say yes or no. Because when you have to do that convincing, you probably were not building trust before. So maybe you're there. Maybe you're like, man, I don't have a ton of trust. I don't have a lot of equity with people. Well, it's time to start building trust. And the fastest way to do that is to simply tell the truth. And to live in the truth. So maybe you're here today and you're realizing, yeah, that's me. I simply need to build trust today. Then I would challenge you to confess that to God. I would challenge you to confess, God, I have this little problem that it just, it's not like habitual lying, but I just deceive people. I don't know what it is about me, but there's this little thing. I just deceive people. Well, I, I think God wants us to build trust with culture so that we have the right to speak in to culture so that people can come to know a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the same knowledge that you have. So I want to challenge you next time that opportunity comes just to say yes or no and to give that deception that, that's a part of you over to God and fully surrender that over to him. Some of you are people pleasers like we talked about and you say yes to everything, knowing fully that you can't handle everything. I can't handle everything. What happens <coughs> is that you begin to shortchange your family because you start to do everything. You begin to shortchange yourself, and you begin to shortchange your relationship with God because you begin to do everything. If you're that way, I want to challenge you to say no to some things or to pray about some things. Take some time. Put, put some procedure in between saying yes or no so that you can honor God in that request. And decide what God wants you to do. Maybe you're here today and you've said yes to God a while ago, but that yes really hasn't been yes at all. It's sort of been, yeah, maybe I'll follow you. Or yeah, you know what, intellectually I believe this stuff. Intellectually I believe that you came and died and rose again. And that's a yes. But it doesn't really affect the way I live my life. Maybe the truth isn't exactly dwelling in you. I want to just challenge you today to simply put your confidence in Jesus. To put your confidence in Jesus. To have confidence to tell the truth. Because Jesus is right there with you. <clears throat> I simply want to give you the chance to say yes again. Or maybe there's somebody here who just needs to say yes for the first time. And I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray. So if you're here today and, and you realize that you just simply need to say yes to God, um, maybe it's 
in a, in a time of renewal, or maybe it's in a time of, for your very first time, you just need to be straight up with somebody, and you haven't been able to do that with anybody because you don't have the trust, know that God it hears you now and sees you for who you really are, knows your heart and everything in it, knows your feelings, knows your struggles, knows your hurts and knows your pains. And he simply invites you into his kingdom to place your confidence in him and to follow him all the days of your life. If that's you and that's here, I just want to invite you to to simply surrender right now. Father, I surrender to you. I put my confidence in you and ask that you give me the boldness and the strength to speak honestly to my family, to my church, to my friends, to, my, to the people I work with, to all the world around me. And Father, for us as a church, would you use us as truth tellers in society? People who know the truth, people who speak the truth. <clears throat> God, would you use us so that the church would again build prominence, so that the church again could be trusted, because there's, even though there's a bunch of sinners in it, we're honest people. And God, would you simply use us in our workplaces, in our families? Father, would you convince and convict us to let our yeses be yes and our noes be no? Father, today as a church, we place our confidence in you and we ask that you would continue to speak boldly to us. And God, that we will respond and we will be your hands and feet to the world. And Lord, we will speak your your truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.